0: Hello, wisdom seekers, wise women, sensitive souls. I am so happy that you're here with me today uh, for this second round of replays for the summer. Uh, Today, we've got Rebecca Scritchfield, who uh, is very much an advocate for body positivity, body neutrality, loving our bodies the way they are. And as I age, that gets more and more important to me because I, you know, I, I'm not one that's going to get plastic surgery or fillers or Botox. And so as my body shows the natural signs of aging, I have to get used to the fact that that's what's happening and accept and love my body for All it's done for me throughout these years. 63 years to be exact, almost. Next month, I'll be 63. And I'm excited that uh, the Sensitive, Strong, and Unstoppable Group for Coaching Women Who Feel It All will be launching this fall, the fall of 2023. If you're interested in getting on the mailing list to learn more about the group, go to my webpage, Cushcoaching.com, and there is a button right at the top of the page that will put you on the mailing list. And I guess that's all the news for now. Uh, but uh, yeah, I'm excited to share this replay of my conversation with Rebecca Scritchfield. Rebecca is a well-being coach, registered dietitian, nutritionist, ACSM-certified exercise physiologist and author of the book, Body Kindness, Transform Your Health from the Inside Out and Never Say Diet Again, which Publishers Weekly calls a rousing guide to better health and the New York Times book review calls simple and true. Through her weight-inclusive body kindness counseling practice, Rebecca helps people reject diets and body shame to create a better life with workable, interesting self-care goals to fit individuals' needs and preferences, not society's unrealistic weight and beauty standards. Rebecca has influenced millions through her writing, her podcast, workshops, and appearances in over 100 media outlets, including NBC Nightly News, CNN, The Today Show, O Magazine, Real Simple, Time, and many others. Rebecca is a freelance writer for the Washington Post and Self Magazine, an advisor to Health Magazine and Diversified Dietetics, and a mom of two young girls. She lives in Washington, D.C., where she was recognized as one of 10 supermom entrepreneurs in the nation's capital. I'm excited to have Rebecca share her insights into how we can incorporate her body kindness mentality and practices into our daily lives. And she's going to share how we can work with those parts of us, our critical parts, our shaming parts when they show up around food and eating and body size. So let's get started. Hi, Rebecca, and welcome to the Woman Warriors podcast. Thank you so much for having me today. Oh, I really appreciate your coming on the podcast and taking the time to talk to us today. Could you share with the audience a little bit about you and what's inspired you to do the work that you do? Sure. Well, I
1: reside in Washington, D.C. I am a mother of two young girls. They are eight and six, and I am a working mom. And a homeschooling mom, actually, now recently with the pandemic, we're still in distance learning mode here. So you could say the juggle struggle is real. And I'm definitely a woman worrier myself. (laughs) (laughs) But what I do for a living is so special and meaningful to me. It is a way to really help people create a better life, a more meaningful life, a life of more um, compassion and kindness toward yourself and others. And I created a philosophy called Body Kindness. And the philosophy is about reframing the idea of what what it is we think about when we think about health um, and more of a focus on personal and collective well-being. So there's three different pillars called love, connect, care, and more than happy to share more about that later, Mm -hmm. but I, I really created it out of a necessity of me realizing all the times in life I was thinking that I was picking up on healthy behaviors and especially when it came to food, it was like diets and dieting and magazines and books and all those things that really tried to sell this message that hundred percent of your health or lack thereof was your control and responsibility. And if you were larger bodied, bigger boned, or, you know, now, thankfully we're trying to bring some liberation to the word fat. So, you know, I am a thin privileged person, but I use it as an ally to, to help take away the stigma you know, but like if we dared to be anything, but the thin Eurocentric, young, flawless beauty ideal, then we need to spend all of our resources there trying to fix it. And, and I was part of that. I tried my first diet at nine. There's a whole story happy to share, Yeah. but you know, really what's interesting about it is that at the root of it, I really did care about health. I was fascinated by my heart would beat every day till one day it wouldn't. And and I said, well, I want to take care of myself. So the intention was all well and good, but my adventure, I made a lot of mistakes and even becoming a dietitian and a certified exercise physiologist did not preclude me from continuing to make mistakes because I was still in this weight normative paradigm where you Focus on weight loss as the outcome. And there was a, a culmination of several kind of one, two, three low points that involved me with clients, my mom's own health decline, and my own sort of personal rock bottom moment. And I just kind of fell to the ground one day after a, a terrible session with a client. And after I cried my eyes out. I Mm. wrote down on a piece of paper, what do I do if I care about health, but never want to diet again? Mm. And it was that sentence that eventually led to, Mm -hmm. to me creating body kindness. I ended up getting further training as a clinical anxiety counselor. And that's a lot of where I ended up learning that a lot of this stuff that I was doing for clients with IBS was actually more likely to be anxiety. Although there are some cases where the low FODMAP type support I offer clients really can offer some relief, but it's, it's not as many as the clients who end up Coming in. And I'm also currently doing some training and development to become a certified trauma informed professional as well. So mm-hmm. I've been studying acceptance commitment therapy and internal family systems for years, and they show up in the body kindness philosophy in kind of like small and subtle ways. Mm-hmm. But I'm really, my own personal involvement has become in just expanding the fragility of what it means to be human and playing whatever part I can in helping people make sense of their lived experiences. And also, you know, more and more their parents and grandparents, and just to try to lean in with a sense of curiosity and compassion about what's happening now, but also in, in looking forward and, you know, what is it that I could do to make my life a little bit better? And this very moment, it's my hot chamomile tea and conversation with you <laughs> later it will on with my daughters. But, you know, I couldn't even think about that kind of stuff when I was counting calories and in the apps or doing the weight loss plans. I was, it was only about my yeah. body being good enough or not.
0: Well, and, you know, I find it interesting that you said that, when you describe that session with clients, but I was thinking about my own work with clients too, with women who are working toward, you know, feeling more positive about their bodies and that I can still get caught up in the, does healthy mean losing weight? Like, is that, should that be the goal? And having to quiet that part of me that mm-hmm. wants to go there because we've been drilled into our heads that, Like weight is the measure of healthiness, Mm -hmm. especially for women. Mm -hmm. But I think for people in general, like I can think of clients in particular who are very reticent about going to the doctors because they're sure that even though they feel they're doing all the right things, that their weight will be the thing that the doctor focuses on and says, this is what you have to fix. Mm -hmm. So how is this diet and diet culture really just messing with our heads and our bodies.
1: Yeah. You know, I mean, what I have learned is that it's something that's been in existence since before we were born. Often William Banting is cited as the author of the first diet book because there was this pamphlet that just sold crazy amount of copies back in the day. And it was Mm -hmm. this letter on corpulence and he kind of laid out. This is what I did to lose weight. And what's fascinating when you actually look at the text from as neutral standpoint as you can, and There's a really good book out that's called Diets and Diseases of Civilization, and Adrienne Batar had wrote that as her thesis, her PhD thesis, and she was on my podcast, and so I I got to learn a lot about her, specifically about banting and the things, you know, it was like, drink alcohol every day. Like, who wouldn't want that, right? And there's like, (laughs) no bread. And then even now, you could see threads. If you Google the right terms, you could see that people are still they're like citing Banting and they're blending like Banting with keto and intermittent fasting, you know, oh. cause it can't be just one thing. So like <laughs> nothing dies in diet culture. It's just repackaged and, <laughs> you know, resold as this vulnerability. And, you know, but what I could see back there is that William Banting was fat shamed, you know? Right, and so right. his pamphlet made all this money because he had this secret to not being punished by your fellow citizens and mm. now what what we're trying to help our culture do is try to be kinder to one another like what if we cared about a collective well-being you know we the truth is we don't know anything about a person's health or well-being or economic status any really social determinant of their health by looking and yet you know we can't escape what we've been culturally conditioned to believe And actually, Sabrina Strings, who is the author of Fearing the Black Body, The Racial Origins of Fat Phobia, Mm -hmm. her book really opened up my eyes to the exact time and place where the medical establishment. Started to really notice that they could gain a lot of profit hmm. from weight stigma. And, you know, they used to be concerned about people being underweight. And you can even find these ads of weight gain shakes they used to sell to women for curves. And, oh, you know, wow. Yeah. And just, you know, now we're the reason why your clients are in tears and avoiding going for their pap smears or, you know, mammograms or whatnot is because when you go into a doctor's office, it's considered a screening. Mm-hmm. To get somebody's weight. And so it's considered a health screening, but it is optional. And if they have the higher BMI status, that's the body mass index, which I call in the book the BS measurement of inaccuracy. <laughs> the way it was created was a sham. Mm-hmm. But, you know, insurance companies will pay a doctor to have a weight. I.e. health conversation with the person after getting a weight without even talking boo about their self-care habits or their stress or if they're depressed or suicidal. You know,
0: oh my gosh.
1: They just get the reimbursement for talking to them about their weight must be horrible based on their BMI. And so this it's incentivized and the doctor's process, think about what happens. You go and you check in, update your insurance. No, go in, you know, somebody calls your name and they weigh you first. They don't yep. say, yep. hey, this is optional. Would you like to know? Now I can tell you my doctor, which I have the privilege of being in a really affordable, like you pay a yearly fee, it's less than $200, but, Mm -hmm. you know, but for some people that wouldn't even be, I mean, yeah, (laughs) I grew up on food stamps, so we wouldn't, we didn't even have health insurance, but so I'm just calling myself out, even saying that, wow, things have changed for me, but in this plan where I am, it takes insurance. And there's concierge aspects where you can text and say, Hey, what's this rash? Can Do I need to right. come in or not? Right. But my doctor, a female, you know, she'll, she'll say, Hey, you know, if you want, I could fill out what your recent weight has been, or I could leave a blank. Or if you want to know, you could hop on my scale. And it's not even like the typical medical scale. It's literally like the Walmart right. step on the floor <laughs> you know, scale it's so laid back. And so we know it's possible, but it's just not the process and it's mm. it's not the process because when medicine adapted this, I mean, literally the war on obesity that became a thing. I mean, there was even a time, gosh, when would it have been like maybe 2006 and between 2006 and 2008? Cause I was, I was early in discovering health at every size and learning about intuitive eating is before I even created body kindness. I was just like, I can't ever do this again. Mm. And there was this ad campaign in Georgia that was these black and white photos of these kids looking absolutely miserable. And it's like, I could die soon if you don't take care of me or like, but it was very much blaming kids based on their size and like black and white and very evil looking and not at all. It was supposed to be a public health message. It was not at all about access to healthy, affordable food or simple ways to prepare healthy, affordable meals or safe sidewalks and safe places for kids to play. It was about, we're going to take a kid, put a nasty look on their face, and Mm. we're going to threaten these adults. Like you are doing this to kids. And whereas there have always been higher weight kids and there's always been higher weight adults. Yeah, And even if there have been changes over time, you know, there's genetic factors, there's environmental factors, there's many, 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 many reasons. But one thing we do know is people cannot hate themselves healthy and shame doesn't make anyone healthier. Oh yeah. You know, and then you have thin people not doing healthy habits, thinking they're fine and higher weight people saying like, what can I do to make you happy or make myself happy? There's so much suffering oh,
0: my in gosh.
1: the world of weight stigma. And You know, but if I had to simplify it and you're, you know, this long-winded answer, a big part of it is profits. It's at least in America, right? We were kind of built on capitalism and it's just a huge market. Oh, yeah. So it's a hard thing to resist.
0: (laughs) It is. And if you just like would pop into random conversations, I mean, it comes up so often just in people just chit-chatting, right? Like what Mm -hmm. diet are you on? Or have you lost weight? Or, oh, you look good. You're so Mm -hmm. thin. or. Mm -hmm. But the reality is, I mean, I was stunned by the statistic in your book that was like, what is it, like 95% of diets don't work or something? Mm -hmm. Is that, Mm -hmm. like, that's crazy. (laughs) Yeah. we're still doing it.
1: (laughs) Right, exactly. Well, you know, it's interesting. And some places will cite like a little bit of a lower number. It's still 80 some. So it really all depends on... Which, you know, report are you going to look at? Mm -hmm. So when I talk about in the book, it's like, yeah, a doctor says here, take this pill, but I guarantee you it's not likely to work, you know, (laughs) like you're going to have some reservations, but it's like when it comes the new year or just something hot and fresh is out. It's on
0: social, a celebrity is doing it. It's like, here, take my money. <laughs> oh yeah. I I, rem- I remember my in-laws going on like the cabbage soup diet or something mm-hmm. like years ago. And I was like, you're going to eat cabbage soup like every day, all day. And, mm-hmm. and you're going to like that. <laughs> oh yeah. It's like the, it is like a wolf in
1: sheep's clothing, you know, or, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's like, oh, I swear this isn't a diet. It's whole 30. This is a healthy lifestyle and anti-inflammation or Mm. the thing is, if it promises weight loss as a long-term outcome that will benefit your health, your physical and your mental health, then it is a diet because it's centering weight loss and it's relying weight loss as Mm. an outcome. So somebody say something like the Mediterranean diet, Mm. right? And in that context, it's meant to be the way of eating. And there is a good amount of research that shows that the Mediterranean eating patterns can offer a lot of health benefits. And some of the things that I like to point out is that it, it might be fish forward, but it's not necessarily meat-free and it might right. be plant-based, but there's, you know, it's deaf, you know, it, it doesn't have to be vegetarian or vegan, but what's also super notable. And one aspect I wrote about it in the book that I was, cause that data was out, but it had to It was this acknowledgement that there's a lot of other ways of living that aren't very American, like Mm. lots of vacation, plenty of time (laughs) to eat your meals, enjoying relaxing time. And they were really acknowledging a lot of other mental and physical health benefits to the way of living that you're not going to get from food. And then recently after the book was out, but something that I have stayed uh, very interested in is the idea of that when you look at the social factors, that there is consistently a cutoff, you know, when it comes to your economic status, you know, so Mm -hmm. no amount of salmon is going to get you out of poverty. It is not going to make you free from the negative health effects of poverty. And, you know, that's why health needs to be more more social justice informed. You know, that has to be our future. Yeah, and, you yeah. know, we do need to separate health and well being away from the demands of smaller sizes. And that, that doesn't discount that people say, oh, well, you know, recently in the pandemic, I noticed a weight gain trend and I just feel physically uncomfortable. You know, you can hold space, right. For an individual's experience and talk about like, you know, can we explore like what's, what might be underneath that? Right. Mm -hmm. So it's not to say that nobody ever gains or loses weight. You know, we all have a range in which our body will store energy and will relieve of energy depending on behavioral habits. But when you're talking about like people who are at the higher, you know, ends of the BMI, you know. Even if with intensive lifestyle, there's research, it's called the look ahead study, all this money, the NIH threw uh, to this intensive lifestyle to see if people with diabetes would have fewer heart attacks and live longer through this intensive lifestyle. And they had to stop the study several years early due mm. to futility, which basically meant we're wasting our money. Mm. Even with intensive lifestyle and interventions, people are still going to get heart attacks and die because- Basically, we get older
0: <laughs> and our heart doesn't work as well. Know, right.
1: well. <laughs> uh, yeah, we got to die of something. And also very interestingly, people did lose weight in the first year and there was a big difference in how people lost weight, but they steadily regained it in years two to five. And it begs the question of how intense of a lifestyle you're asking people to follow and who's going to pay for that. So there's right. many, many very interesting questions and what it all boils down to what if we just worked on our oppression. And we did not judge people based on their weight, shape, appearance, based on how much exercise they get, based on how how they eat. And what if we said, hey, we are all humans together. We respect each other's body autonomy. And that's a huge personal value of mine, which even includes if you want to diet, that's your body and your choice. Mm-hmm. It's just if you're feeling that you're at this rock bottom place or that this isn't really going to create the better life that you want, then I want to help hold the space for your pain and mm-hmm. the grief of all the time and money and effort and energy and mental space that you gave to something that was very futile and painful. Mm-hmm. And then I want to help you problem solve and strategize for what's next. Cause I really believe every individual is wise and they're going to heal themselves.
0: Mm-hmm. They
1: need partners,
0: right? Yeah. 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 People to, to walk with them on that journey and Mm -hmm. yeah, provide the support, encouragement, Mm -hmm. some guidance. Mm -hmm. I love that you incorporate mindfulness and some of the, even some of the IFS language, the Mm -hmm. sort of compassion and caring Mm -hmm. and curiosity, Mm -hmm. but there, there are parts of us that <laughs> I'm very familiar with my own parts of that, like parts of us that want to shame us around the food we eat, what our body looks like. I know for me, I turned sixty this year, and my body has changed. And uh, too, with the pandemic, mm-hmm. the way I coped was. I bought myself really good chocolate and Mm. ate some every day, which is amazing, (laughs) but I did gain some weight too. So I have been working, recognizing too how often that voice of, do you really need that? Should you be eating that? And there was a period of time where I used to like hide my candy, even Mm -hmm. in my own family where nobody was going to take it, but I felt Mm -hmm. that I couldn't be open about what I was eating. Mm -hmm. So- How do we work with those parts that want to show up and really just, Uh, you know, (laughs) <laughs>
1: yeah. yeah. So it's interesting in the book, I call them like thought bullies, you know, because it yes. feels like they're nagging us. Or And so one is like the tantrum toddler. Why can't I have all the toys? This isn't fair, you know? <laughs> and then the inner critic, of course. And that's one of the, it, it hurts us the most. And mm-hmm. you suck. The thing, I love IFS and Dick Schwartz and the people who've been training me along the way. And it's very, very, it's been very helpful on my. Personal journey as well. And it's Mm -hmm. this like being able to say, all my parts are welcome. Mm -hmm. You know, thank you for being here. And to be able to acknowledge that they are offering protection, that they are trying to help is such a powerful relief. You know, when I work with clients with eating disorders and I'm like, wait a minute, you want me to thank bulimia? Like, no, I'm here to stop it. Like, you yeah, know, before they yeah. run out the door, it's like, we'll do a guided dip in. And it, you know, becomes very, very clear that our burden parts are really just trying to get our attention. And I find myself called to share personal experience with some of my parts and, and just even, you know, how nuanced it could be because yeah, you know, even the experts, you know, we're like, oh, is it, we could find these interesting insights. And so for me, there was this phase where- So with both of my girls, so they're six and eight now, but we co-slept with the girls and my younger one actually never left the bed. And then the older one came back in. And (laughs) so, you know, my, my husband and I talk about it and we roll with it. And doctor's like, as long as everyone's getting a good night's sleep. So there it's still been pretty much our, you know, routines of the girls and I will fall asleep, do some meditation, fall asleep together. And there was a window where I have difficulty falling asleep and staying asleep. And when my anxiety peaks, that's usually what happens. Mm -hmm. And so I would get myself out of bed and, Oh, you know, you got to go check in with your husband. Like it's time to see what he has going on. So I'd go upstairs and he's, First of all, watching TV, which I don't even like, but like (laughs) the blood and guts, like drug Mm. movies, like the worst, (laughs) nothing I want
0: to watch, you know, not nothing that's going to help you go back to sleep.
1: Right, Right, exactly. And then I go and sit on the couch and couch. I do the little chit chat. And then seconds later, I'm up going through the cupboards and, you know, grabbing whatever, you know, Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. going back to the couch and my heart's beating fast, watching the (laughs) the guns go or whatever, you know, and I could, there's this part going, oh, well, he's doing something he's enjoying and you don't even like this, you know, and then I'm crunching on the, whatever, or, you know, the smooth, creamy ice cream or the crunchy chips, whatever it is. And then I would say, you know, yeah, you're kind of, kind of worked up and you're not even really tasting this and you really do feel tired. So I was trying to do all this sensing mm. and so I finished snacking or whatever, by the way, I'd already brushed my teeth with my girls before bed, <laughs> but I would say to myself, oh, it's okay. because you don't diet Rebecca, right? You don't diet, Um, you don't do that stuff. And then I get myself eventually to bed having not brushed my teeth a second time. (laughs) So I'd wake up with that like pasty mouth and then I'd be like, God. And so there wasn't, there was curiosity and compassion, which is very, very far, right. And a body kindness practice to to be kind of stay engaged and all that, but watching yourself do these things. So my parts will just, they'll use my values to get to do what they want. So that Mm. when I, when I finally, I got back into some yoga and I got felt more stable and I was like, you know, it's interesting how that part really just did need to soothe with food, but any sort of oh, this doesn't really feel right. Cause you're not really tasting it. Or it's like later at night and you're normally sleeping any sort of advice from like a different monitor part. It'd be mm-hmm. like, oh, but you don't diet, And that's all it needed to do to just get, so it could do its thing because yeah. it was hitting me at this real important value. So anyway, yeah. if, if anyone's like, oh, she really has it all together. Just know that right. We are humans. We make our own oh, mistakes. And, and totally. if, getting under getting a connection to those parts can be super, super helpful, no matter where you're at. And you know, the other note that I wanted to make, because people can feel really like blaming themselves, like why did I do this to myself or just very, very angry is that to know that the burdened parts that are getting you to bully yourself, saying mean things, saying you're never going to find love, happiness, or respect, or that you caused your own diabetes, even or whatever Mm -hmm. might be happening. Yeah. Those burden parts are also, they're doing whatever it takes to help you get any amount of social power you can get.
0: Mm. Because
1: we are not in a culture that loves everyone no matter of their size or loves any everyone no matter of their health status. You mentioned turning 60. We berate people as they age. We make them unworthy and useless members of society when they're the most wise and credible and helpful and loving members of society. So it's our culture has it wrong. And so I invite every listener to look at culture more fiercely Mm -hmm. and push back more fiercely against what's wrong in the culture and look toward yourself with love and kindness and compassion. Mm -hmm. So if you think about giving yourself fierce love, you know, be fierce and angry and mad and turn that sword of anger out toward the culture yeah. and the harms that it perpetuates. And then turn the love toward yourself and you'll start to feel better. And then you could do things from there.
0: Mm, I love that. I love that so much. One last piece that I wanted mm-hmm. to touch on. So much of your book reflects back on like sort of this journaling process of, mm-hmm. you know, kind of allowing yourself to be with your feelings, be with what's coming up, and not journaling like diet journaling. You're not (laughs) counting your calories or marking what you ate that day, but you're just helping yourself through this sort of as an extra support. And Mm -hmm. how do you find that helps the clients? Mm Because I I just, Mm -hmm. I love journaling anyway, so. Yeah.
1: It was really important to me that in the context of the book, that I would give practical meaningful activities that people could take immediate action on. And it really has to do with wanting to help people develop insight to grow hope and confidence that you really are the author of your life and you really can do a considerable amount to improve your happiness In the fleeting state, you know, like if I'd like to enjoy some hot chocolate on a cold afternoon Mm -hmm. or a bowl of in-season strawberries, you know, anything like that, anything simple like that. But then also sort of the long-term that life is meaningful, that, you know, when you live your values, when you connect to other people. And so I feel like with a journaling prompt, we can just let our brains get creative and explore and kind of think. So I remember when I talked about exercise, it's like no reader needed a exercise lecture from me and we all <laughs> know certain things. And I managed to sort of dip in some facts like, yeah, most people don't really move enough. And so, you know, cause we got to like look at truths. Right. Mm-hmm. But it's like this prompt of like, can you remember a time when movement felt playful or fun or joyful? So it's through, if you can prompt people to connect to something either from their experience, or I think this sounds good to me. It's like, we can create this space for positive emotions and imagining something positive and joyful and helpful. And it's through that state of Optimism that is likely to lead to taking any kind of small or swift, meaningful action. And then that alone, it changes the brain chemistry for a bit. It's like, oh, that feels good. Mm-hmm. You know? Oh, that counts as I'll ask the client, tell me that if they're not very active, you know, but they're like, yeah, I know I need to explore it, but I just have so much resistance to it. And, you know, even without going super deep onto all the, you know, bad gym class experiences or embarrassing mm-hmm. moments around movement that might have existed without even going too deep on any of that, it's, it's like, well, okay, well, if we were to think of the absolute least amount of physical activity that you could do within a few days, like the absolute minimum, what would it be? And it's like, they feel so confused that they even have a say in the matter. Right. Oh, right. And, yeah. and then they're, they're censoring themselves. Like, I don't want to give my number. And they'll say something like seven minutes. So I'll be like, great. Seven minutes. You know, and they're like, oh my gosh, well, I felt myself saying 15, 15, 15 to 30. And then I just (laughs) said, no, tell her the truth. I was like, all right, seven minutes sounds fine. You know, if you want help, we could find out one thing to do.
0: Mm -hmm. for like
1: 45 seconds and we can come up seven, one things on an index card and you could try it out and see. And, and it's like, yeah, clients come back with this index card. It was like with this permission that if I was going to work out that this is the seven minute plan, you know, oh my gosh, Rebecca. But then I did it twice in a row. I turned seven into 14 because I actually was really liking the music I was listening to. And I, I kind of felt a little more confident. So it's things like that, that You can get there through Mm -hmm. starting by thinking about what sounds good to you. And you're kind of all already in this inner caregiver energy and, you know, yeah, you'll hear the voices not good enough and you're never going to get to your goals and just understand that they're gonna be there until they learn how to help your caregiver lead. And so you just thank them and you do your seven minute workout or your one minute workout, whatever your your yep. thing is. Yeah. And yeah, and you just you learn and grow
0: from there, really and mm. truly. Yeah. Ah. Such, such great insight and just the idea that your inner caregiver can grow and lead with mm-hmm. these small steps is really. So great and amazing.
1: Yeah, I think so. And I think you have to have full permission. Like your pace is the pace. You don't have to do it all at once. So you might decide that you want to start with sleep because you recognize that when your sleep is off, it's just harder to even get through the day and you don't need to feel bad at all that you're just eating whatever you want and you're not exercising or you're just doing whatever works because what you have the emotional energy to focus on is sleep. And that absolutely is good enough. Mm-hmm. talked about diet culture and stuff. It's always the quick fix and the 12 week plan and the one week plan or the whatever. And our brains respond to like urgent solutions. Cause we want that relief. Now we want that promise now, but really, and truly think of anything in your life that you really value is meaningful and important. And you'll see you've lots of signs of your strength, your resilience in your own capabilities. And it's really what body kindness is about too, is just discovering your preferences and realizing your own capabilities and that you have had it all along. You just kind of needed a different way of looking at things.
0: Mm. Yeah. Yeah. That those resources are in there, but Mm -hmm. we have to give them the support and the space to show up. Yep. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So I just want to also acknowledge your book is beautiful. (laughs) So many books today are like the pages feel gross and they're not nice paper. And it really is a beautiful reflection of the body kindness too, you know, to just have this really lovely book to walk through those steps. So how do people find you? How would readers, if I mean, listeners and readers (laughs) want to find your book? Sure. Yeah. So the
1: book is available everywhere. And so, you know, see if it's at the library if you want, or try to support your local retailer, but you can find it everywhere. There's an audio book and ebook as well. I read my audio book. So if you like the sound of my voice, turn the page, (laughs) turn the page at the sound of the chime. Um, So there's, that. And sometimes folks look at the audiobook and then they'll see that they want like the journaling prompts too. So mm-hmm. it all just depends on how you prefer to absorb the content. But I also have a website. It's called bodykindnessbook.com. And from there, you can click through some of my podcasts, podcast themes, and there's kind of a free program that you can get started and you could read a chapter of the book, but also get my emails from me. And I'm lucky if I get one or two out in a month. And it's usually things I'm reading about some inspirations. And if I happen to have any groups that I'm running, I'm going to be running some groups in 2021. Nice. So the communications like that, if you are into Facebook, I I do have a Facebook group. So when you sign up for that free program on my website, you'll get the invitation to all those other links and everything, but
0: nice. Nice. Well, I will include all those links in the show notes. And I just really appreciate your taking the time to talk to us today and share your insight into body kindness.
1: Oh, well, thank you so much for having me. And hopefully we have fewer women worriers and, (laughs) you know, or at least from from the worriers.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) All right. Thanks. Take care. Thanks again for tuning in to the Awaken Your Wise Woman podcast. I'm your host, Biz Cush, and I am super excited about this coming season, season four, which will launch in the fall. And again, if you're interested in my coaching group for sensitive women, head to my webpage, coaching.com, and you can sign up to be on the email list for more information. And I will be sharing more about the group and creating a webpage just for that group after I get back from vacation. Have a wonderful week. Take care of your beautiful bodies. And I'll see you next time here on the podcast.